Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's topic, the merits, obligations, and benefits of lawyers serving on boards of directors in the community. Here to discuss this issue is Myrick O'Connell attorney Chris Collins. Chris is a member of the Life, Health, Disability, and ERISA litigation group. Chris's practice focuses on life and health insurance matters with a concentration on disability income insurance. Chris Collins, welcome back to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Great to have you with us. Great to be here, Howard. Thanks for having me again. Sure. So, Chris, uh, as we both know, there is a lot in the news lately about expanding the roles of public companies beyond their traditional and singular focus on producing improved shareholder returns. So, Chris, when you think about your role as a business person in the community, what's the benefit of using your talents beyond just your role on behalf of your business and thinking of the business's role as a good corporate citizen? Let's start off that way. Aaron, you mentioned a little bit in your question. I mean, this notion of shareholder capitalism, which, you know, has always been the primary focus, certainly with American companies. And I think recently you've seen a lot coming from corporate America in the sense, you know, what are our obligations to the communities in a whole variety of ways um, in terms of uh, how do we serve the public beyond just whatever good or service that we're providing to customers. And I think we're seeing now this kind of historic rise in the size of some companies. And I think that the people that run those companies and the people that work there are really starting to become sensitized to what we can do with kind of the enormous wealth, not just in money, but in terms of the talent that that companies and other business organizations have. And when it comes to law firms, actually, you know, well, obviously we're going to talk about that today. And, you know, there's extraordinary talent in law firms. I mean, the, the lawyers go through a lot of rigorous training to, to earn their degrees and whatever their specialty might be. But almost to a person, and, and certainly it's been my experience, it's an admire that there are people who have capabilities to help the community in a variety of ways. And the nub of the whole thing is that it's it's just good business to do that. You don't want to have a law firm in a community that's depressed in a variety of ways. You want a thriving community where people can actually use your services and compensate you for those services. And that's a lot more likely to happen in a thriving community than it is in a community that's kind of down on its luck or not performing well throughout, you know, from top to bottom. And, and that's what this is really all about, is how do we lift everyone up using our talents, whether they be treasure or intellectual talents, how do we lift everyone up so that we're all thriving together? And that's what that's what this is really all about. And maybe as we have our discussion, we can, we can flesh that out a little bit more. So this is a very interesting concept to me, Chris. Uh, drilling down on this just a bit more, because I know you have a lot of thoughts about this. How can individual lawyers, for example and the firm itself, say, Myrick O'Connell, or really any firm, give back to the community specifically? You know, I've I've been on a lot of boards, specifically in the Worcester and Central Massachusetts area. There is not a board I think I've ever been on that didn't have at least another lawyer on it. 
And when you think about a board of directors responsibility, whether it's for a nonprofit or a for-profit company, governance is a big deal. Uh, and lawyers have special training in governance. You know, they understand the, the, the need that, you know, makes most people's eyes kind of glaze over, but the need for, for vigorous bylaws that kind of direct the activities of an organization and how they structure themselves and how they review the activities of the business, their, their fiduciary responsibilities to oversee whatever financial aspects of an organization are in play. And all those kind of notions, you know, the fiduciary role of, of, of one person over another, that's, that's a legal concept that lawyers have special training and they have special training in governance. They have, and in the kind of world we live in with regulatory and legal issues abounding, having that kind of talent on a board, it, it's amazing how many times a lawyer will be consulted with respect to a certain activity that a board is trying to undertake for any kind of organization. So that special talent is in great demand. And if a lawyer you know, has that sensibility, wants to get involved in the community, it's a way to build their own skills too. You know, it, it takes sometimes the theoretical out of, you know, what a young lawyer might learn in law school into real practical application. So a bylaw is something that looks kind of benign when you read it, but when you see it in practice, it takes on a life and you see, oh, I understand now why this is written this way. I understand now why we have annual meeting requirements or all sorts of responsibilities that are directed by those bylaws. It just brings all that to life. And I think it makes a lawyer or practitioner when they have a client that has issues in those same arenas. So it almost seems like what you're saying, Chris, is that uh, bottom line here is it this all becomes a win-win for the lawyer, the firm that uh, he or she is with, and the community. Exactly. Yeah, it's a triple win. It's a, you know, basketball, <laughs> the triple bank shot. Yeah. You know, because, <laughs> because everybody really does prosper in the end. You know, it's a learning experience. Obviously, you're giving your time and Lawyers have ethical responsibilities to give back, whether it's pro bono legal services in some shape or form, and to carry that out by serving on a community board. It's kind of a nice way to carry out those pro bono responsibilities at the same time you're learning, at the same time you're giving to the community. So it's good for the firm. It's good for the organization that you're working for, and it's a good way to build skills. I want to ask you a few questions about your own personal experiences working in the community. Are there any, uh, well, let me first ask you, before we take a deeper dive on this, what are some of your personal experiences working in the community? Yeah, I've, I've served in a variety of boards, everything from uh, health, human health services to cultural organizations, to schools, nonprofit schools, really you know spread the gamut in terms of the types of organizations you know in some ways they're all they have similarities but in in most ways they're all very different there's <laughs> I don't think there's two organizations that have an income statement that look anything alike and maybe that's a tribute to the accountants of the world but I'm always amazed at the different ways that you can present the financial picture of an organization 
and how the particular accountants who oversee that organization decide to uh, give that picture to the management and the board that's responsible to, to oversee it. But that variety has always struck me. But uh, yeah, so it's really served the gamut from arts and culture to human services to educational opportunities, to organizations that kind of serve the community in general, whether it's the chamber, whether it's the Greater Worcester Community Foundation. You know, I've served as a board member and president of the Worcester Art Museum. You know, I just finished my board service at the Nativity School of Worcester which is uh, one of two Jesuit schools in our, in our community. But this one has a special purpose in that it serves underprivileged youth in our community, boys in middle school between fifth and eighth grades. It's a tuition-free private school that provides a really rigorous education, but also gets at the spiritual component of the, the boys that attend. It, we are a Catholic school, but it's it's not Catholicism that the boys are being preached at. It's really to find a spiritual way to live their lives beyond just the academic. Like, how do you be a good person? How do you find ways to give back to the community? Even though you might not have treasure to give to the community, there are ways to give to others that that go beyond that. It's amazing to see some of these kids that really have nothing, how they can really tap into those resources both academic and personal, that really changes their lives. And that's one of the opportunities that are in our community. And there's lots of them like it, where you get this, maybe there's more than a triple bank shot. It might be a four bank shot that, you know, you come away with really knowing that you've done something that's uh, helping to change people's lives. Wow. You know, it's not often on a lawyer-oriented legal policy podcast that you hear what you just said, Chris, about the virtues, the benefits, and the much-needed support you give that other lawyers give, really, those that serve give. really is. Yeah, you know, I I think you're right, Howard, and I I have to say my experience at Mark, I have a mental list of all the lawyers in the firm and, and the variety of ways that they're serving the community, whether it's the uh, Heart Association, the United Way, legal services, whether it's serving on college boards. You know, we have folks on the, the Worcester State Board. Jeremiah's in. I can't tell you how many lawyers are performing the service, mostly very quietly. It's not, you know, highly publicized, nor should it be. But I have to tell you, it's at least a trade at our firm. And I have to say, you know, knowing the local bar, knowing some of the lawyers that have given of their services in a variety of ways in the community. I think it's a pretty common trait among lawyers in Central Mass to do this kind of work. And that tradition starts and people pick up on it and carry it on. And that's certainly been my experience uh, while I've been in Worcester, whether it's working for a private company or, or a law firm. I would totally agree with you, Chris, just based on my observations. I want to turn a little bit now to something that's been on everybody's minds, COVID-19. What about the nonprofit sector, Chris? What have you seen in terms of how the pandemic has impacted that sector of the economy? Well, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. I, I think the first one I would use is this Worcester Together Fund that was developed shortly after the, the COVID crisis hit. And just recently, they announced that they've raised over $10 million. So it's a, wow. it's a collaboration between the Greater Worcester Community Foundation and the United Way of Central Massachusetts. And the collaboration itself is a silver lining 
with respect to what's happened in the pandemic. These are two organizations that obviously had warm relations over the years, but never had done anything close to coming together and showing to the community, hey, we're going to work together to fight this crisis really impacting and going to impact our community in the long term. And it's really been an example of how nonprofits, because many times you'll find nonprofits all serving a similar sector. Um, and maybe one criticism of the sector is that sometimes they don't partner enough together to use efficiencies like you would see in the private sector to address a problem that's vexing the community. But in this instance, that's exactly what happened. And as a result of coming together and raising this kind of money and using each other's expertise about where there are needs in the community, it's been unreal what's happened. I mean, they've already distributed I think close to seven of that $10 million into the community. The first couple of phases, one was really the emergent phase, making sure people had food and shelter and clothing, which are some of the basics to survive. But then moving into the next few phases, it's more like where are the long-term impacts going to be, whether it's helping students in public schools have access to the right technology so that they can attend school virtually you know, they created, I, I think, 5,000 hotspots in the city of Worcester, make wow. sure that wow. bandwidth is strong enough so that you know, a student at home attending school won't have any kinds of interruption. So it's things as basic as that. So there's there's a real upside and a silver lining to the pandemic to see these two groups come together to address need. On the kind of the flip side, the cultural organizations in the city, I think, of taking a bigger hit than maybe has been publicized in some respects it has. But yeah. in others, I think people say, oh, you know, it's kind of a nice to have, but not an essential. But I feel a little bit differently. I mean, having been involved at the art museum for a long time and seeing a place that is so rich with art and a place where you can really get all different kinds of education, the real loss to not have that available to people and to make sure that it's still going to be strong after this is all over. And the Hanover Theater is an organization I worry about a lot because they've really been shut down. I yeah. mean, and it's probably one of the last things that come back is people gathering yeah. in an indoor space in large groups you know, to watch a performance where people are singing and, you know, talking loudly, all these things that we fear can spread the virus they've really been harmed by this. And we have to focus as a community to make sure that they come back strong. I have to say, even though I'm participated much more intensely at the art museum, the theater really became the beginning of the resurgence of Worcester. And the fact that it closed right now, I, you know, it, it was such a symbol of how our community was coming back alive. And to see it closed is really, it's painful. Um, and I know lots of other community leaders see that same thing. And we we have to refocus our efforts just like we did when the theater was reopened and reimagined to, you know, turn back from being a showcase cinema into a live Broadway theater. Maybe it's going to be a 2021 effort, but we have to bring that same energy back to get that theater operating at the level it's operating at. Really important, I think, to the psyche. Of, of the city of Worcester. So those, so those, those are kind of like two ends of the spectrum and there's everything in between, but 
Yeah, it's it's having a huge impact on the nonprofit sector, and we all have to do our part to to help things going forward. Absolutely, Chris. I'm struck by how eloquently and passionately you've been speaking. The, and we've been talking the past uh, 15 minutes or so on this podcast about community service, what's going on in the community, the role of nonprofits, the role of artistic and cultural institutions, and I think you've you've really summed it up. So, Chris, as we know, Myrick O'Connell, as a firm, has been in the Worcester and Central Massachusetts community for over 100 years. What have you seen in terms of the firm's engagement in the community through that time, from your perspective, Chris? A lot of that experience, Howard, was before I came to the firm. I've only been at the firm now for five years, but knew of the firm and worked with lawyers at the firm all the time I've been in Worcester, so since the early 1980s. I would say that the firm and the city have kind of mirrored each other as the city has really had peaks, so has the law firm. And if the city experiences valleys, the the law firm could have the same valley experience. And I think that's why you see so many lawyers participating vigorously in the community, because we know that the community's success is our own success. And and I think that's true of of law firms in, in any size city, that those two things kind of go hand in hand. And so I, th- I think that's why you see lawyers volunteering their efforts or being called upon others to advise and counsel and participate in the nonprofit sector. It's good business. It makes sense. It's consistent with, as I've said earlier, the ethical responsibilities of lawyers to serve beyond just their money-paying clients, that we all have that responsibility as part of the oaths that we take. And I think most lawyers take it seriously. And that's certainly my experience at Mark O'Connell. And I'll say one other thing. I think younger lawyers joining law firms, especially a firm of our size, are kind of kicking the tires to see what's this place all about? What's my life going to be like if I go to work at this firm? Is it going to just be a sweatshop or is there something bigger and more a self-fulfilling that will come from the experience. And so I, I think people are kind of figured out that certainly this younger generation that's coming in is a lot more sensitive to those kind of public service responsibilities that lawyers and law firms undertake. And, you know, if you can't answer those questions well, when you're being interviewed by people that you're recruiting, you might not get the talent that you're looking for. That's a great point, and a great point to end on, actually, the future and our young folks today. I would agree with that, and uh, we've been talking with Myrick O'Connell attorney Chris Collins. Chris, uh, thank you so much for joining us and for serving as you do in the community. Thank you, Howard. My pleasure, and I hope we can do it again. Really appreciate it. Uh, Just one last thing, Chris, how can folks contact you with any questions or concerns or issues about what you've mentioned today or your uh, everyday practice? Yeah, I think the best way, Art, is probably by email, ccollins at myrickoconnell.com. My office number is 508-860-1524. Either of those methods work, and uh, we'll get right back to you if you have a question. Terrific. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm Howard Kaplan. On behalf of Myrick O'Connell and attorney Chris Collins, thanks for joining us on On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Take care and stay safe. 
This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. 